Welcome back to another episode of Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. Um, with me today, two people that one I've known for a while now, one I've just been getting to know, but but like both of them quite a bit, uh, and was excited to have them on. Uh, Allison Mangiero and Evan Weiss. Guys, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Appreciate having us on. Allison, we'll, we'll start with you. You're the acting executive director of the Proof of Stake Alliance, known, known as POSA. Um, you were at Tezos before that. You were at the Manhattan Institute before that. And you and I have known each other in different capacities for a while as a result. Um, walk us through how kind of a, what you call yourself a recovering political scientist all of a sudden becomes a central figure in cryptocurrency. Well, I think it's a typical career trajectory, you know, from yeah. um, studying American politics and, and public law to running a tech company. Of uh, but that's 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 basically was my trajectory. So, yeah, I started out studying American politics and public law. I taught for a while. I still do some teaching. But I always wanted to have um, a foot in reality, I guess, so to speak. So I did some work in the think tank and public policy world. I ran a membership organization for MBAs at top business schools. I've done a number of things, but I've always been really fascinated by the way people organize themselves in various societies and how they govern themselves. And so when I started learning about crypto and saw people starting to organize themselves in these digital ecosystems that were almost akin to, to like network states, I was, I was really fascinated. And so in 2019, or sorry, 2018, I jumped down the rabbit hole and started working in crypto full time on one of the first proof of stake blockchains, which you mentioned was Tezos, um, and kind of fell in love with the space and have been in it ever since. So I've always been interested in this kind of mix of public policy and technology and community and crypto is a uh, is is a, is a very good place to be in if those are your interests. Yeah. And Evan, you run business development at Coinbase Cloud, uh, but I think that's a relatively newish job for you. So walk us through how you got here. Yeah, um, was uh, actually a, a trained and uh, attorney. Uh, so studied law at GW. And, and while I was there, I took a banking law class. Uh, we studied the financial crisis. And to that point, I really hadn't kind of understood our financial system. Um, and just really deep diving deep, maybe realize just like the, the moral hazard in our banking system and had a talented engineering friend who said, well, you know, this is kind of why Bitcoin was created. And at that point, I really just thought it was for like, you know, kind of buying fake IDs. I hadn't really done a ton of interest. And so spent my kind of last year of law school really reading about crypto and trying to understand it um, and trying to understand like legal implications for Bitcoin. Uh, and then uh, we worked as a corporate lawyer for about three years and kept finding all my free time was just focused on Bitcoin and crypto and Ethereum. And at, during kind of the beginning of the bear market in 2018, I just decided to make a jump into the space uh, and had a, two friends that kind of led me in the direction of proof of stake. And after doing some reading and researching, I realized that most of the new protocols that we're going to be launching uh, kind of post 2017 and a lot of these kind of second and third generation blockchain protocols, we're going to be utilizing proof of stake, but no one was really talking about the legal and regulatory implications. And so uh, with the support of people like Allison, uh, decided to start the Proof of Stake Alliance. Uh, and, and through that, I met Joe and Aaron from Bison Trails, uh, who were focused on kind of building the, the leading enterprise infrastructure uh, platform in the crypto space and joined them as the chief of staff and eventually ended up being on the management team there and, and leading our business development and customer success and our protocol operations teams. And now kind of leading that our next generation at Coinbase Cloud is you know, hopefully building the, the world's largest and most impactful infrastructure platform. And so Evan... Walk us through what proof of stake actually means. Yeah, so um, really the, the, the whole point of uh, 
crypto and, and Web3 protocols is you're able to come to consensus uh, through a distributed group of individuals. And so people talk about these consensus mechanisms. Proof of work was the, the first one utilized by Bitcoin. And really how you come to consensus is, uh, you know, solving math problems by, you know, kind of utilizing electricity and, and specialized hardware to do that. Proof of stake allows you to do that with actually your tokens. Uh, so users of these protocols can actually what's called stake these tokens, which is pretty much lock them up in a smart contract um, and uh, approve transactions on the blockchain. And by doing that, you're actually receiving rewards back. Uh, so for you know being a part of the security of the blockchain and working with a bunch of you know, a decentralized group of individuals, you can actually earn these rewards. Um, and these blockchains tend to be a bit more scalable, um, a bit energy efficient. So, um, you know, kind of proof of stake, Ethereum has talked about a 99.9% .9 energy reduction by transitioning to proof of stake. And, uh, you know, really just looking at the ecosystem, most new blockchains are utilizing proof of stake. Uh, if we kind of take Bitcoin out of account, uh, I think 91% of, of the total crypto market cap is utilizing proof of stake. Uh, you know, considering Ethereum's transition. So uh, a very large part of the ecosystem. And do you think that will um, only increase as U.S. state legislators, uh, legislate, legislatures, I guess the right word, sorry, um, start really looking at the energy impact of traditional mining um, and, and looking for alternatives? I actually don't think that will have as much of an impact. I think it's just the technologists, um, you know, People, these you know, incredible builders were utilizing proof of stake really before the energy impact was even kind of visible, and, and lawmakers were talking about it. I just think it's better technology for their use cases, and and they want to utilize what's going to be best for their users and their communities. So uh, I think the technology is just speaking for itself, and and really just following the builders and what they're utilizing. Okay. So Allison, you guys just had a, a big win. Um, you supported a lawsuit against the IRS by a guy named Josh Jarrett, who has proven to be a really interesting guy. Um, and and you, you did something that I don't think anyone's really ever done before, which is that you were able to basically get the IRS to sort of almost not quite admit they were wrong, but but really change their behavior in a way that clearly is a meaningful step in kind of the perception and regulation um, uh, in the crypto world. Walk us through that, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. So what's at stake in this case is um, it, it's the first case really that's that's trying to get an opinion on the proper taxation of staking rewards, which when we started working on these issues, as Evan mentioned, you know, a few years back, taxation of staking rewards was one of the first areas that people said, look, if we can't figure this out, this is going to be one of the big um things that hinders adoption in this space. We have to get people to understand what exactly these staking rewards are and how they should be taxed properly. So what, uh, you know, we educated both people on the Hill. We sat down with folks in Congress. We had a meeting with Treasury. We had a meeting with the IRS, uh, trying to explain to them the legal arguments around what these staking rewards are, that they should be treated as created property because all of the people who are participating in these proof of stake networks and are creating these proof of stake tokens, um, they really should be taxed on them when they're sold as opposed to when they're created. So Josh, who is a very active uh, participant in uh, the Tezos ecosystem, decided to sue the IRS um, because he felt that his, um, his staking rewards were being uh, treated improperly and you know, sued requesting a refund. 
And we were very excited as supporters of Josh to find out in December of 2021 that he got an early Christmas present and that uh, the IRS was offering him uh, a refund, you know, a year and a half into that litigation. So what do you think big picture that that means beyond Josh's specific taxation? Well, I mean, I think I don't think the IRS would offer or I should say the DOJ would offer a refund on behalf of the IRS in this uh, in this case if they didn't know there was some teeth to the legal argument that was being made. Uh, I think that they know, uh, well, I know that they know because we've told them that this is a multi-billion dollar industry and this, as proof of stake continues to grow in popularity, you know, based on all of the stats that Evan cited earlier, there are millions of American taxpayers that are similar, similarly situated to Josh Jarrett. And so, you know, we think that this could have major impact based on that. So, so Josh Jarrett, sort of a unique, any individual that's willing to sort of fight for what they believe in and take on the IRS and all of that, obviously, is mm-hmm. a unique person. So he's, he's probably not the norm. But like, Evan, when you created the Proof of Stake Alliance, um, how did you think about it in terms of starting to really build an infrastructure for the regulation of crypto, the legitimacy of crypto, how you can mobilize people politically? How are you thinking about all that? Yeah. So, you know, POSA is really kind of a, a unique trade association. Uh, the idea was, you know, I had this legal background. Uh, I had, you know, I, I quit my job. I was pretty much supporting myself. Uh, I was really focused on making an impact in the industry. And so the idea was, one, if I can work for free um, and we can build some, you know, common, we can fundraise to kind of bring together a bunch of these ecosystem uh, participants together to really kind of drive impact and uh, to try to do it in a in a way that was a bit more uh, efficient and and not kind of having like a really like large staff and uh, really trying to outsource a lot of uh, our kind of our efforts. So working with great lawyers and great lobbyists to kind of help drive our messaging who have connections with the Hill, who have played this game before. And then on our end, we can really bring the the best technical resources to the the table. So working with people who have you know been at NASA and helped build you know Google, really some of these top technologists who bring a ton of credibility to the table. Um, and so we tried to to really approach this in a way that was a le- uh, kind of direct, getting things done. So um, you know obviously Ch- Josh is a huge part of this lawsuit, and he was really the one to drive this. But our goal was to try to support people like Josh. Uh, to actually make an impact. You know, in 2019, when we first started talking about these issues, it was very unlikely that Congress was going to move on any of this. Um, you know, was, they were just getting to understand crypto. It was a bear market. You know, people kind of thought the fade had kind of, you know, the, the fad had kind of, you know, faded away. And uh, we thought, well, you know, there might be another way to approach this and, and to do that in a legal way, working with people like Abe Sutherland to bring him to the table, get him to write, um, and really engaging with regulators um, and trying to make, you know, legal arguments about why the, the future of these ecosystems are so important and, and basing them in existing, existing law. So POSA is a, a bit of a, a different type of trade association. I would call it very nimble and scrappy. Uh, and we're very focused. And I think that's been, uh, it's been a big part of our success. Um, you know the political world pretty well. Give me your sense of both where you think crypto regulation is going and kind of if if I gave waved a magic wand and said, okay, you are the macro crypto regulator for the entire United States, you know, both state and federal, what would you do? Uh, 
Uh, I mean, you know, I think trying to find one central regulator to own this space and really help develop laws, I think it's going to help, you know, make this a lot more efficient. Um, you know, adoption is, you know, we have to work within regulation and with policymakers and with regulators to build a framework that people can rely on and they can understand. And that's going to push forward adoption. And I think providing someone, you know, like the CFTC, who tends to understand this space and is really digging in the ability to kind of be that one central regulator that we can go to, to, to get regulation and provide some clarity. Uh, I think that would go a, a, t- a long, long way. And, you know, we just, we've got to get both sides of the aisle to see this is, this is not a partisan issue. This is America. This is our growth. You know, I like to think about what if America wasn't a central driver in the internet, we would be a t- totally d- different country from a, from an economics perspective. And, uh, you know, I came from a, a military family background and this is part of why I started POSA because I believe that for us to succeed in the next generation, we need to be leading on technology and web three and crypto protocols are really that next iteration of the internet. And so, um, we've got to have some, some, you know, kind of a sense of urgency here to really build a framework where these amazing builders and a lot of really intellectual property that's being created, being created in the U.S. So uh, I think giving someone that central authority who understands the, the industry and the and the uh, potential here to really help us build a framework that protects consumers, but also supports innovation. I mean, so, so, someone who uh, I was just going to say someone who works in Web3 and crypto advocating for uh, for some centralization, Evan, but I, I think just to. To piggyback, to piggyback on what you said, I, I think the optimism about the space is there. And I think basically the lawmakers just need to catch up to the technology and, and where it is. And so to the extent that we can continue just drilling education, 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 um, and show the promise of this technology, it's almost, I, I don't want to say a, a redo for for big tech and maybe some of the missteps in, in regulating that, but... I do think we have we have a chance here to get this right and to keep that innovation here in the U.S. So then I'm going to make the magic wand even more powerful now, which is Joe Biden comes to the two of you uh, and says, I agree. I want crypto to be you know, I want as many crypto jobs to be in the United States as possible. Fine. We'll have the CFTC be the central regulator. What else do you need? Um, what would you guys like to see? Allison, you want to go first? What else would I like to see? I mean, so again, keeping in mind federalism and, and separation of powers and all those things, I mean, I, what I think is incredibly encouraging is, you know, the, the White House has talked about um, some sensible crypto regulation. We'll see what they come up with. I'm incredibly encouraged with some of the, you know, friendly banter between, you know, Suarez in Miami and Adams in New York about trying to be very crypto friendly cities and getting there to be, um, you know, jobs that flourish there, making these these environments friendly for crypto. So I would say like, yes, there's a story at the federal level. And, you know, I agree with Evan. I know there's back and forth between CFTC and SEC and who should regulate in this and that. But um, I'm very encouraged by some of the the mayors um, yep. who seem to be pro-crypto and, and getting this getting this right and seeing the promise. Evan, how, how are you making America the home of crypto to, to answer Joe Biden's question? Oh. We'll start with uh, let's get some common sense uh, frameworks around taxation. So things like staking rewards, right? You know, if I'm if I'm participating in networks, I can be earning rewards every six seconds. That means millions of millions of taxable events. Like 
that is not going to help get people into the space and get them adopted. And so things like that, along with the de minimis uh, exception that Coin Center and the Blockchain Association have been working so hard on, I think tax is a really important piece. And then, uh, you know, pushing something forward like Hester Pierce's Safe Harbor, you know, pe- these protocol teams have to have a path forward to launching these new protocols. Tokens are the pieces that allow us to coordinate, right? And so we have to have a common sense framework that protects consumers, but also gives builders and entrepreneurs some clarity around how to actually launch these protocols and innovate. Uh, so I think those are my two first. And I think if we if we can get some common sense around tax, taxation and, and a framework for launching new protocols, then I think we're off to a really good start. And so what what countries, so we know China has, has banned crypto and I, for a totalitarian government, I guess that's probably the right thing to do. Um, <laughs> yeah. The U.S. has been, you know, a, a little sclerotic on it. Um, are there countries that are getting it right that impress you guys? I, I would say France, honestly, from the taxation perspective, they've kind of exempted like kind exchanges. They seem very trying to be on the innovative side of tax for crypto. So that's been really exciting to see, um, you know, some of these smaller jurisdictions like the Bahamas are really trying to welcome entrepreneurs and make it easy for them to operate. You've seen companies like FTX move there instead of headquarters. So, um, you know, I think it's a bit of a patchwork approach between all these different jurisdictions right now. But I think some of these countries are seeing the opportunity here and and trying to be innovative and welcome builders to uh, come there and, and generate economic activity. So let's pivot over economics for a little bit. So as inflation keeps going up, the economic theory would say that crypto should be a really good hedge against that. Um, but crypto seems to be moving, well, I haven't still looked today, the, the price or anything, but overall, roughly in the same direction as the stock market lately. Um, wh- why is that? Yeah, I mean, I would just, I mean, definitely not invest in my, but I, I just think we're, we're still really early. You know, like when you think about where we're at, we're like in the 90s of the internet. And so there is a lot of speculation. Uh, and, and, and then, you know, we don't have a ton of like crazy utilization. We're starting to see it. And it's really exciting to see some of these things like, Played Aaron Gaming and DeFi and NFTs, but there's a lot more building that needs to be done. And and I expect in the next five years or so, we're going to see some incredible UX improvements and and more builders in the space. And uh, I think as that kind of real adoption grows, the speculative nature and kind of the story around some of the you know uncertainty around growth stocks and you know uh, new technology is gonna is gonna fade, and the fundamentals are gonna kick in. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, a couple of years ago, people were saying that Bitcoin was completely, um, it, it wasn't really correlated with anything, right? You, you you kind of couldn't figure out which way it was going to go. Now it seems to be moving in the same direction as the, you know, as the market, or it seems to be coupled with equities. You know, I think it's going to take a little bit of time to to figure this out, um, as Evan said. So let's put back to politics for a second. Um, it, it, it feels to me, and obviously the three of us had, have had conversations about this as well, that Crypto is incredibly well positioned to build and launch a grassroots movement that can be wildly effective. And if you think about how we legalized Uber and FanDuel and Bird and all this other stuff, it was by mobilizing our customers politically. And in your case, you've got, my case too, um, an industry where people who are into crypto are online all day and on the platforms all day. So therefore using the platforms to then mobilize them politically should be very doable um, how do you guys think about sort of grassroots fitting into the advocacy that that post is going to do? I think there's a there's a couple things to think about here, which is the current landscape and then what's possible, right? Because I think early days the, in the crypto space and still to a certain extent was very tribal in the sense that people thought themselves as members of one particular community. So 
you were a Bitcoiner or you were a part of the Ethereum community or, you know, you were, you know, shilling for Solana or Avalanche or Tezos or pick your poison. So people very much viewed themselves as a part of those particular communities rather than advocating for crypto as a whole. So I think at first we had to understand and kind of overcome that tribalism and and say, look, if any of our one ecosystem is going to have an opportunity to win, you know, crypto has to win in general. And if we kind of band together and you look at all of the millions of people that are using cryptocurrencies, which I think now it's something like 16% of Americans, I think have, have um, held cryptocurrency and that number's way up and continuing to grow. Um, so you have people in probably, I would say most to every congressional district, like we have the ability to really apply pressure if we band together. Um, and there's a method to do it, as you said, because these people all live on crypto Twitter. There's a way to mobilize them effectively. And so I think we have to let those people know. And for us in particular, um, people in the proof of stake ecosystems, help them to see what the issues are that unite us. Um, and that if we have clarity on things like taxation, as Evan mentioned earlier, and some fundamental common sense frameworks together, how that would help them. Um, and then I think people will start to get it. So I think I think that's where the landscape was and where we're evolving to. And I think people will start to be more politically motivated once they now understand what's at stake. Um, so Evan, I'm going to throw a theory at you and you, you tell me if it's right or if it's crazy, um, which is right now, crypto is really more of an asset class than an actual currency. There's a little bit of stuff you can buy with it, but, but primarily you're, you're, you're not using it for that purpose. When the metaverse comes, and I know that the definition of metaverse is in the eye of the beholder right now, but whatever it is here, I would argue that crypto becomes an actual currency because there's really no reason why you shouldn't be able to buy and sell uh, goods and, and transact business on the metaverse with crypto. Um, and I think that you will have so many people who are crypto users who are in the metaverse you know, with currency that there'll just be a tremendous opportunity there. Do you think the metaverse is that tipping point for when crypto goes from an asset class to a currency kind of in first world economies like the U.S.? Um, or do you think that's off? So it's a great question. Um, I believe, you know, I think stable coins are just a huge piece in the puzzle and kind of getting it to be accepted as kind of a currency and used by merchants. And I think you're just looking at the numbers, numbers and stablecoin growth that tells a strong story. I actually expect that to kind of happen before the metaverse takes off. I think the metaverse, in my opinion, is, is still years away. I think there's a lot of movement there. Um, but I think there's just so many benefits to transacting in a stablecoin like USDC around cost and you know, 24 seven access, I think, you know, as better UX comes around in the space and, uh, we're in some regulation that provides some clarity for some stablecoin issuers, we're going to see that take off. But I do believe in, in the long term in the metaverse, you know, these digital assets and, and stable coins will be key pieces of how values transferred and how people interact. So, uh, I think it's an accelerant, but I wouldn't be surprised to see things like stable coins really taking off in the next few years, kind of before some of, you know, the, the metaverse, hype come, comes to fruition, in my opinion. Yeah, that makes sense. So last question. There's a lot of misconceptions and confusion around what crypto is, what Bitcoin is, what blockchain is, all of that stuff. What's the misconception that you guys find sort of the most frustrating and infuriating? And are there any that actually you think are helpful? I can start. Um, one of the ones that, that kills me, honestly, is Oh, you know, there's just thousands of these currencies. You know, why do you need a thousand of them? 
you know, it's just this view that like, they're all the same and they all have the same purpose. When in reality, each of these currencies, you know, there's definitely a lot that, you know, utilization is, is probably never going to be there. And a lot of, most of them will fail, but uh, you know, some of them are smart contracting platforms. Some of them are, you know, uh, things like digital advertising protocols. There's just really unique, distinct use cases for these protocols. Uh, and so kind of grouping them all together is like, oh, you just, why, if there's a thousand, it just shows you they're all worthless. No, it's just a, it's a really strong misconception of what these protocols actually do. And so that one tends to, tends to bug me. Got it. Allison, biggest frustration? I mean, yeah, I mean, this is probably a standard answer, but I think the, the misperception that everyone involved in this space is, um, you know, using using this to do something illegal or you know that this is all about money laundering and fraud and you know shady businesses i you know i think there's so much that this technology enables and there are so many people who are really in crypto because crypto can be a source of good i mean i i really do think that um especially when we talk about the unbanked and you know, various countries even who are experimenting with digital currency, how that's actually, I think, going to be better for their people um, than than some of the alternatives. So, uh, you know, I get very frustrated by those stereotypes, but I do think that is starting to wane. I've seen that starting to wane in in recent months. So I'm encouraged by that. I think that's right. I mean, you even saw people like, you know, Jamie Dimon or whoever, which just a couple of years ago was dismissing crypto as as some either fad or, or bad thing. And now, now it's going to be one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, right? JP right. Morgan came out and said, "Yeah, exactly." Yeah. And look, if, if you take a step back and think about it, I mean, to me, what, what crypto really is is it's a reflection of where the world has evolved so over the last sixty years or so. Faith in institutions, whether it's the government, the church, the media, Wall Street, whatever it is, has really plummeted. And by the way, rightfully so. A lot of our exactly. systems are corrupt. And I think crypto in some ways is a way for people, even if they're not fully thinking of this, to say, I don't have confidence in the system as is. Uh, I would rather throw in my lot with like-minded people. Um, and in some ways, I mean, I know this maybe sounds too much. I always find it kind of beautiful in a way. I mean, what, how about you guys? I mean, but also what's more American than that, right? Yeah. Giving giving power back to the individual. Um, and I think we've seen, I've been so encouraged by obviously the technology that has grown here in the past 20 years, but we've also seen the downside of that. And I think this is a way that gives the people and the individual the opportunity to get some of that power back. Um, and and we almost we almost get a redo, actually, on um, on creating institutions or whatever. I mean, I don't even want to call them institutions, but things like DAOs, you know, are super encouraging to me from, from that perspective. And yep. so... I'm just, I'm incredibly, I think it's, I think it's beautiful. I think it's American. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm very encouraged by it. Yeah. I think, I don't think you could have put it any better, Bradley. It's exactly right. And I think, you know, maybe why this resonated with a younger generation first is because uh, a lot of people, you know, who are younger kind of feel like the odds are against them, uh, you know, harder to build wealth these days. And I think that story is maybe resonating with this younger generation, but I think even as older generations are seeing just the, you know, kind of the lack of just movement in our government and just seeming like kind of no matter who's in charge, the same old, uh, 
people are looking for new avenues to uh, express themselves and, and be part of new communities where they actually feel like they have a say in what's going to happen. And, and there's actually, you know, come people looking out for the little guy in, in a way. And so uh, I think that's a huge part of, of the growth of the industry. And I think the more that narrative catches around, around like, hey, you know, this, this industry was built for the little guy and it really was meant to give people power. Uh, we're just going to see greater adoption. Yeah. Well, that's a perfect place to end this. So Evan Weiss, Alison Mangiero, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Appreciate it, Bradley. Thanks so much.